Hey everyone, I'm so glad you're joining us on Facebook Live. We're talking about kairos uh, today, which, which is this Greek word, for those of you who don't know, that means it's a Greek word for time. There's, there's three, I think, Greek words for time. One of them that we know the best is chronos, uh, which is like chronological time, talking about time specifically in some sort of order. But what we're doing with this time, we use this word kairos, and it might not be the best explanation, honestly, of what we're doing here, but it's the word that stuck. Uh, and it's about an opportune moment, because right now we're taking an opportune moment. We're taking a moment out of our day to really center uh, with what God is doing in our lives and, and take this moment for God to impact us that might change the chronos time that's coming in front of us. And so I just want you to please pray with me as we start um, and, and just consider first um, we're going to take the first like five, 10 seconds of prayer and, and we're just going to be silent. And I want you to inwardly think about who it, who it is that we're praying to, like the almightiness of God, the holiness of God. So let's pray. Um, let's take a moment and just recognize who it is that's, that's in our presence right now in this moment. Father, you are a holy God. You're not uh, some hippie God that we've created in our minds, but you are a God of, of truth, and, and you are a God, um, you are the God who is worth fearing and is, is present today. And so I just pray that um, we recognize that and we take advantage of this time and we don't lollygag during it, but we really center in and try to learn as much as we can. Um, God, don't let this prayer just be a moment to pass time and something that we do in a program. Um, God, I'm praying to you because I know that I need you to help. So please be present. Amen. So Simon um, Proselbin. Man, this tells you how much I can't get this. But Simon, all I remember is his first name Simon, but he's a preacher in Oxford. And I remember hearing this story from him. Um, and he was talking about how when he was younger, he went uh, forwards. And as he went forwards to a group of people, um, he, he came home to, to a group of people and he told them, I've become a Christian. And he was so excited. And then he went on and he went home to his mom and he said, Mom, I've become a Christian. And his mom, looked really concerned, looked down at him and said, How dare they brainwash you? Like, you, you, you're joining a cult. Your brain has clearly been wiped. And then Simon, uh, as a kid, as a middle schooler, he says to his mom, Well, Mom, my brain needed a little bit of washing, didn't it? And, and this is the state of exactly what we're talking about today, is, is we hear this idea of brainwashing, but we're going to talk about washing in a whole new way of what Jesus brings up, specifically in John chapter 4. And so we're going to look straight into Scripture, and we're going to work slowly through it. I'm really hoping you read this ahead of time. Um, if you didn't, please try to read these ahead of time, and it's going to help you so much in understanding what we're talking about. Because remember, this is your chance right here to zone in on, on what's going on so that then you can go forwards and bring this to your community that are loving one another, that are serving one another. Um, this isn't just an opportunity for you to be served, but this is an opportunity for you to serve. So let's look at John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sichar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, I have some pictures that I really want to show you because this is a real place. So could you pull up um, the next slide? It's some pictures of Jacob's well. And, and you can see here, so Jacob's well is a real place in, this, in Samaria, modern-day Samaria, near this city, Sachar, um, that you can actually go to today. And, and it looks exactly like what you're looking at right now. Um, you can tell there's been a building all around it. There's a whole church that's been built around Jacob's well. But Jacob's well obviously is, is so deep and not something that you can just move. So we can clearly see this is where it is. This is a real place that Jesus actually went to. And I just want us to sit on the moment of recognizing that Jesus was wearied from his journey and actually sat at this very well, even though it didn't look like it does today, um, because he was tired. And, and then he actually sends his disciples off to go get food. We're going to see that as they come back. It's like he said, hey, y'all go to McDonald's, uh, grab me a Big Mac, but I'm going to stay here for a little while because I'm tired from this journey. And I want us to take a look at the next slide of a map to look at this journey a little bit. So this journey, um, I drew on this map and it ended up looking like I drew some uh, weak form of a parallelogram. But it's actually two lines that end up forming that shape. And I want you to look on the east side, those, the east line and then the southern line. So the, the line to the right and the line that's down. Um, that's the path that most people would have taken going between Jerusalem and Galilee. That's the path actually that Jesus and his disciples took earlier when they were going to Jerusalem from Nazareth and Galilee. They went around kind of if you're going from Jerusalem north, you'd go around to Jericho and then you go up because they're actually trying to avoid the bad part of town because people who would take this center path, which is what we see right in the center of the map and then the more left type of route um, for Jesus to take, um, and they would pass through Sichor, they would pass through Samaria. A lot of Jews, as they would pass through this area, they'd actually get beat up. Um, some of them would get killed. And because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along, the Samaritans considered themselves Abraham's descendants, and the Jews did not consider the Samaritans Abraham's descendants. And so in this mess... Um, What's happening right now is in this real place is Jesus has sat down at a well in a bad part of town um, as his disciples are going to get food. And then this is the scene that takes place. So let's continue on now in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And then Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, most of you are going to already know this, but, but we could talk almost a little bit about this idea of what's wrong with this picture right here. Like there's, there's something that's happening in this scene that if you would look at one of those little cartoons, you'd be like, what's wrong with this picture? You're looking at a cartoon that seems normal, but then you realize there's a person screaming in the background you don't understand, or there's someone with a cat and a knife, like these types of pictures of something's wrong here. And what we see in culture that I really want you to recognize is this first one is she was a woman. Like that's, really important for us right now. I actually, in when I study the Bible, and I'd encourage all of you to do this as kind of a side note, but I keep a, um, a document. It's called um, Things Women Did in the Bible. And I just use an acronym because 
typically when, when a woman's doing something in the Bible, it's, it's incredibly important, just like it's incredibly important with what women are doing today. Um, but what's unique about this and what we're going to see later on is men, Jewish men, did not talk with women. When they, they didn't want any sort of assumption that there was any, any conversation that wouldn't be holy. And so some, especially someone who's a rabbi, someone like Jesus, they would not talk to women. Second of all, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. We said this is the bad part of town because, um, and the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them, especially not drink out of the same cup as them. So that's something unique that's happening right here. Um, the third piece is we know, and most of you already know, because you've heard this story so many times, you've read this scripture so many times, that this is a woman of really bad character. And so it's, it's strange for a teacher of the law to be now talking with this woman of bad character. Yet Jesus knows all of this, and he chooses to engage us in this conversation. Now, verse 10, we see Jesus answer her when she, when she asks him, how do, you, how do you ask me for a cup of water? And he answers her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have, has, have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. And I want you to center in on this, underline this if you have your Bibles. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now take a moment and, and leave Samaria for me and recognize John does not write this story for us to, to know about this, this Samaritan woman. John in his gospel is not sharing this testimony so that we can go and leave today and be like, hey, that was really cool talking about that woman at that well. Like she seemed pretty cool and she got to know Jesus and he got his big mag and, and that was awesome. Like this story is actually about you. And until we center in on that, we're not really going to understand what this story is about because, because I know that so many people are asking Jesus the wrong question that they, they don't quite really understand, they don't quite grasp what this living water is. And so then what I want us to center in on is, and I'm going to let you all discuss this amongst yourselves first. Please, please use the Facebook comments. We want to see those get used. Um, but then talk about it in your groups wherever you are. And then we're going to Skype um, one group. It sounds like there's a large group of y'all gathered in the red couch room over in the rink. And so we're going to Skype that group in to hear from that. But this is the question that we're asking. What does Jesus say this living, this living water will do in the woman? And what will it do in you? So take some time, look at that question, and then we're going to come back and, and Skype in that group. Hey, welcome back. Um, we're going to jump over to the group that's over in the red couch room to hear kind of what they were talking about. Jacob, thank you so much for using um, the comments. Um, Great answers, and I love I love hearing that with you. But yeah, so we have a group over there, and and I'll swing it right to them, hey, and I want to hear from you. Back, um, we're gonna jump. Sorry. <laughs> Are we on? Yeah. <laughs> What's up, guys? So, what does Jesus say this living water will do specifically in the woman of Samaria, and then what will it do in you? 
<laughs> uh, um, you obviously oops. prepared so well. No, we're ready. It's just it's like this huge TV. I'm just like, it's like, <laughs> it's like on the computer and on the TV. <laughs> um, so with the living water, it, it means what we discussed this. It means eternal life as well as um, never having to find the need in anything but Jesus. Um, because what he has to offer doesn't run dry, um, which is his salvation and his love and all the nice things it says he does for us. Yeah, and what about this this overflowing well that they're talking about? Like, where, how does that get included in this? So he talks about not only living water, but a spring of water from a well that is deep. The spring of water is that water going and then overflowing out from you that it not only and that you can find your joy in that, and that you'll never be, be thirsty and longing for anything, but that overflows going out and sharing that with other people as well. Definitely, exactly. And so what, how, what is it going to do with you then? So when we drink this living water, um, how does that affect our lives? Oh, it affects us the same way it would affect the woman. We become that, um, we become that well-being poured into with that water and then that point to other people, not because it's our water, but um, Jesus's water. Exactly. Do y'all, this is kind of putting you on the spot, on the spot. So if you don't have one, that's fine. But do you have any stories of, in your life of that kind of happening, like a two minute story or so? Two minutes. You don't have to have an answer. We'll keep rolling then just for the sake of time. I just realized what time it is um, and roll through the second half of this because we're going to see exactly what you're talking about lay out. Um, So thank you so much. I see Josh, Hannah, Paul, Carlos. I can't quite tell who's that in the back. But um, thank you so much for connecting, and we're going to keep moving forward. See you all. Um, So here we see now then in in verse 16, um, Jesus talks about this living water. This woman has some sort of experience of that. and, and then she says, well, I want that. I want some of that. And so then he, he asks her a question that, that is pretty, pretty strong. But he says, okay, so go call your husband and come here. And then the woman answers in like such a typical way of this, just like, like when, when we hear people talk about something that maybe we don't really want other people to know of in our life, we just naturally say like, oh, oh well, I have no husband. And, and she answers that way. But then Jesus pushes her and he says, you're right in saying, um, this is in verse uh, 16, you're right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your your husband. What you have said is true. And so she does what I hear so often. I might meet somebody and I'm talking to them, um, just trying to get to know people around Orlando. And then they ask me what my job is. And I'm like, well, I'm a youth pastor. I work for a church up in Longwood. And and they like immediately repoint. They're like, I don't want to hear about that because normally they said something earlier in the conversation that then they feel bad about. And she does the same thing. She repoints. And then in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, and she repoints again, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, I guess we'll finally understand. He will tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I don't want you to think that she's that that Jesus is accepting this woman's behavior. Like this woman, she's married five husbands, and and now she's living with somebody who's who's not her husband, and he's not accepting her behavior. But instead, he's offering a solution to her behavior. He's saying, "Come forward and and partake of this living water." And as soon as this happens, there's a scene change because his disciples get back from grabbing pub subs or McDonald's or whatever lunch they ended up getting at Jacob's well. And in verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So they stayed quiet. And in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. And then she said to the people in the town, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Do you see it? Do you see the well right there? Like not only is she finding this fulfillment of of talking to Jesus, but then she goes into a city and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Like this is the overflow that we're talking about. Verse 31, meanwhile, and man, this is so much worth pondering this ending of, of these verses. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? But Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. When's the time, when's the last time that you were so excited about something that you were skipping meals? I think like of, I think of a lot of really brilliant people. Handel's, Handel um, is a musician who, he's a composer who wrote Handel's Messiah back in the day, which is this massive and brilliant um, piece of music that was written kind of in that classical era of music. And when he wrote it, he skipped so many meals. He wrote it in, in just a couple of weeks when normally this would take like years in order to figure out. And it's, it's gone so far because he was so excited about what he was doing. He wasn't worried about eating. And that's, that's where Jesus is right now. He's like, yeah, I've talked about turning water into wine. Yes, I've, I've, I've done some pretty cool stuff, but this is what I came to do. And this is what I'm so excited about. And then my second question, and this one's maybe a little bit more important, is when was the last time that you were looking with, with the eyes of Jesus? Um, and, and this isn't on the screen. This is something for you to process. When is the last time you were looking with the eyes of Jesus at the people of your campus and were saying, the harvest is waiting for them. Because we live in this era of truth. John 3 ended talking about those who believe in the Son are going to rejoice and find hope, but those who don't believe are going to end in darkness. And in that darkness of God, there is wrath. When's the last time you looked at your campus? When's the last time you looked at that woman of Samaria and 
and recognize the harvest is so ready because that's what Jesus is saying. Verse 39, continue to ponder this ending for me. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because what you have said we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And so ponder this deeply because this Samaritan, this woman of, of low moral character is the first evangelist that we're seeing in this gospel of John. See, Jesus' disciples were present. They were there, but they weren't the ones going to Samaria and sharing the gospel. It, it was this woman. And then my question that, that I want you to end on, I accidentally wrote on the slide, so where are you in this picture? Um, what I really want to ask you is how have encounters with Jesus transformed you in unexpected ways? And that's what I want you to share with your microchurches. Because remember what we talked about last week. We are raising up Jesus just like Moses raised up that bronze serpent in the wilderness. Because people who look on Jesus and believe, their lives are transformed. And so how have your encounters with Jesus transformed you in a way that you're overflowing to your campuses? That's all that we've got for you today. I'm going to pray and then we'll close out. But um, stay in contact with me. Uh, one thing that's going on is on Tuesdays from 2 o'clock to about 4.30 p.m. I'm, I'm at a Starbucks. You can find that on my Twitter page with more information. But um, And so if you ever want to talk or, or hang out, that's a time where I'm just working on my computer. I'm present there. Um, but let's pray. Father, take these words and apply them. This is your scripture. Please let everything that I've said only uplift and help, help us recognize the importance of this because we are that woman. We, we need to drink of your living water and have it overflow in our lives because looking down the hallways of our campuses, God, the harvest is plentiful. But I'm not so confident that we're great at sharing Jesus. I confess, God, that perhaps I've gotten better at preaching Jesus than sharing Jesus. And, and I pray that this very week and that the next week following these microchurches, we'll have so many people looking someone in the eye and sharing the gospel with them, maybe for the first time. Because the harvest is plentiful. And God, you will build your church. The gates of hell will not stand against you. Amen. Thanks for connecting. We'll see you all next week.